Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Mad About Mad About You, your weekly Mad About You recap podcast. I am Russ Fader. And I'm John Marbley. Can you believe it? It's us. We're back again. (laughs) We're not two different people now. What do you mean? It's the same guys. I don't I don't follow. Well, I'm just saying that I'm Russ and you're John, and it's not like two different people are doing this podcast all of a sudden. Oh yeah, sure. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> you know how that happens sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you'll turn on a podcast and it'll be two entirely different hosts. <laughs> yeah. And no one will address it. It'll be reshuffling. Yeah, like when Dennis Miller took over, how did this get made for three episodes? <laughs> Those are dark days, babe. <laughs> not to me. Not to- I'm a fan of all the old guys. Sure, but you're more of a fan of Dennis Miller's new right-wing persona? Wait, was there a persona before that? Yeah, where he was just a normal mean person instead of a very mean person. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I became a fan during his CNBC show <laughs> when he did the Daily Rorschach, which I think is a great title for a segment. Oh, man, and it wasn't wasted on a real jerk at all. <laughs> Who, Dennis? Yeah. I love Dennis Miller. I think he's an American Still? hero. Absolutely. What, because his politics changed? Yes. Oh, come on. Who cares? <laughs> if mad about you was a final frontier, we're traveling outside of time and space here. So let's break it down now. It's just what we do. It's mad about, mad about you. I'll tell you what, though. Feelings about Dennis Miller up or down, I still love the net. Love the net? Oh, man. A year or two ago, we watched the net on YouTube in its entirety. What a great, terrible movie. Is it terrible? It's a weird one. I haven't watched it in a long time. It's so dated. Like, the whole thing is just what life is now. And we're supposed to laugh at this character where she, oh, she's shut in. She orders pizza online. Oh, my goodness. She only talks to people through the Internet. And now it's just like that is what 98 percent of people do constantly. Now we walk around on our phones only talking to people. Yeah, basically. I'll have to check it out again. Except then they also do the thing where they're just like, oh, we use the internet to say that Dennis Miller was not a diabetic, and he's a diabetic, and now he's dead. So, like, that it's was a terrifying. little bit fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> but that's still very relevant, you know? I mean, we're reading documents from WikiLeaks about the CIA hacking into various appliances and devices. I guess that's true. Do they have anything on big SNL stars from the 90s? <laughs> How's Kevin Nealon? Is he healthy? <laughs> rise, guys. Rise, gals. It's good to hear from you and see you. We are up to, gosh, what number episode is this? Is this episode seven? Season one, episode seven, right? Which would be a yeah. great name, I think, for a, a kid. Seven. <laughs> episode <sorry>. seven? <laughs> episode seven. <laughs> you're, you're one-upping the old Seinfeld bit? Yeah. Episode seven. <laughs> because, you know. George Costanza was a big fan of Mickey Mantle, wanted to name his kid Seven. You could be like, oh, I just love The Force Awakens. I'm going to name you (laughs) Episode Seven. (laughs) Or the first name is your kid's middle name. So if you name your kid Episode. Sure. Which actually isn't. No, I think it's a bad name, but it's not a horrible name. Is this like figuring out what your porn name is? No. (laughs) (laughs) 
No, not at all. This is far <laughs> less arbitrary. Because a life is an episode, almost, in, in a way. Do you say our life is an episode? Sure. Every life is an episode. I didn't expect you to get so deep so soon. Or a series. I don't know. Rise, guys. Rise, gals. Make your lives a series. With high not ratings. An episode. With oh, high ratings. Very good, yeah. You stepped on my aphorism. Uh, yeah, you want to do it again? No, I don't. The moment <laughs> has passed. <laughs> yeah, it's an unedited episode. <laughs> yes. Unlike what this will be. <laughs> Unlike this. We're snipping so much. Yeah, this anyway. is highly edited. People don't know this, but we usually record, what, 27 hours, I'd say, per episode? Roughly, and then we... like 27. Yeah. We, re- we, have, we record for 127 hours. <laughs> Basically until Russ feels like he has to cut his arm off. <laughs> yeah. And that's when I yeah. call it, usually. <laughs> Russ, put the saw down. We're done. Don't worry. By that point, I've got my Swiss Army knife out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, holy smokes. So this episode of Mad About You... It's called Token Friend, mm-hmm. and it originally aired November 4th, 1992. Wow. Big day. Legitimately big day. Big day. As we will cover. Indeed. Do you have the, the TV guide? I do, and it is as concise and accurate as ever. I'm sure. I'd expect nothing less. Paul fears a film student may blame him for his lack of success. There you go. That's it. What else do you need? What else do you need? Nothing. I'll tune in to watch that. Absolutely. (laughs) Hey, Russ, what's on tonight? Well, look, I'm going to be 100% honest. What was on tonight wasn't that great. And also, I am completely obsessed with Hat Squad. Hat Squad, by the way. Sure. Episodes are still available on YouTube. Ah, okay. I watched at least the beginning of an episode (laughs) of Hat Squad. It is a bad show, if you can imagine. Treat yourself, rise guys, rise gals, and look up Hat Squad, which we touched on at length last week. Indeed. But I think, you know, look, Hat Squad, <laughs> I just keep saying it, Hat Squad is currently five episodes in this week, and they do 11 episodes. Wait, so, didn't it just start last week? I thought it did. I was mistaken. Oh, gotcha. I thought okay. last cool, week cool, was cool. the pilot. It was just the first time I noticed it. I don't know how. Oh, fascinating. Okay. But yeah, we're... A little less than halfway through the run of Hat Squad. Part of me wants to just make this the Hat Squad corner and talk about every episode of Hat Squad from here on in. You want to put a mini recap episode of another show inside of this recap podcast? Absolutely. Totally into it. Very much. (laughs) Great. So I didn't do that this week. Maybe we'll jump back to it next week. Okay. Listeners, let us know if you want more Hat Squad, please. Or less, quite honestly. Or less. (laughs) But what I did do this time I went looking around because uh, they, they had uh, The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. And that was apparently on the docket for that night. And I was like, <laughs> well, that makes sense. As it was every night, right? Well, here's the thing, <gasps> though. I looked it up. <gasps> and it was not The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. Because oh. uh, I, I, what I thought was, oh, well, let me see this. And let's see who's on Letterman. I don't want to cover Leno. And it wasn't Late Show with David Letterman. It was Late Night with David Letterman. Oh, the old one. The old one. So I was like, well, let's see who was the guest. So I Googled Letterman 11 4 uh-huh. and the episode came up on YouTube. Whoa. So I watched the full episode of Late Night with David Letterman. You really treated yourself. So 
I'll retract a little bit what I just said because there were 40 minutes of the episode available. Tony Bennett was the middle guest. Well, isn't it a 42-minute show? You know what? I guess you're right. Yeah, you barely missed anything. I barely missed anything. I, there was no Tony Bennett. Here's what I got from this, though. Because mm-hmm. Sam Donaldson was the guest. and Oh, also, my gosh. Who is that? Uh, I mix him news- up with... Oh, he's a news anchor. Who were you going to say? I mix him up with that guy with the voice from Ordinary People. Oh, gosh. You know I wish I knew who you were talking. I wish I did because I'm sure it's not related to anybody like that. But- <laughs> oh, oh, very funny. <laughs> no, Donald Sutherland. Okay. Well, I mix him up with Sam Waters. So oh, everybody sure. has – it's the classic – Sutherland Watterson Donaldson conundrum. Yes, that we right that we read about in AP stupid stuff. So, <laughs> what'd you get on that? A three? I got a five in AP stupid stuff. <laughs> if there's one thing I excel in, it's stupid stuff. <laughs> so I watched it, and God, Letterman is so good. Really, he's so good. I thought he was good, like the CBS years, like old school late night Letterman. He's just so funny. Wow. It's unbelievable because, and I know it's kind of his thing, he didn't care about anything. His whole thing was about being too cool for school and just like, oh, yeah, whatever. I've got a show. I'm not, I'm going to make the same bad joke over and over again until you laugh at it. And just like, at one point, he said, What do we do now? We bring out a guest? Why the hell not? Get this guy out here, see what he can do. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's funny. It was yeah, great. That's great. And, when he retired, I watched a whole lot of the shows that week, and James Corden and everybody was talking about how he changed the game, and he made things real, and he made things also nonchalant, and he was just mm-hmm. the anti-comedy show, the anti-late night show. Mm-hmm. And then he left, and now basically everybody is just doing a standard late night show. Interesting. It's like they didn't learn anything or grow at all from Letterman. The only person who kind of is carrying that torch is Chris Gethard. By the way, everybody, watch the Chris Gethard show, available on Fusion and also on YouTube. But, yeah, like, basically everybody else is, wow, Letterman changed the game. Time to play a silly, silly game or just uh, do carpool karaoke or even, you know, I like Colbert and his stuff, but it's not, it's not doing, it's not the subversive stuff that Letterman was doing. Yeah, I guess all the shows do have a classic feel now, don't they? They kind of do. It's a bummer. Well, I like classic feels. That's true. (laughs) Letterman's first joke was... Welcome to the program, ladies and gentlemen. President Bill Clinton. (laughs) And we thought this guy got a lot of girls before the election. And this is particularly of note because, yeah... This episode of Late Night with David Letterman and Mad About You took place the day after the general election, which elected President Bill Clinton. Indeed. He called and quizzed an employee from a Little Rock cafeteria from the Capitol because he was like, so you know the president a little bit better than most people. So let's just ask a few questions about what he likes to eat and what he does. What is the state bird of Arkansas? A mockingbird. Okay, correct. Do you serve mockingbird in the cafeteria? No. No, of course you don't. What What will Dan Quayle do now? <laughs> All right, let's go on to the next question. How does the governor like his eggs? 
scramble. Oh, <laughs> over easy. Very close. Oh, so good. It was really fun. Check out Late Night with David Letterman, everybody. You'll really enjoy it. And it only stopped airing, gosh, I don't even know ago? how many years ago. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was a late show. But yeah, check out check out all the Letterman you can get. The Letterman Letterman show? I don't yeah. know. Why. During yeah. the late night scandal, right? Yes. We're, the first late night wars. Yes. So yeah, Sam Donaldson was on. Tony Bennett was on. Interesting. Julie Brown was on. Do you know Julie Brown? Nope. Julie Brown was on MTV. She was the host of Just Say Julie. She was also in Earth Girls Are Easy. She had red hair. She was very loud. She sounds like, uh, oh boy, you know, Kathy Griffin. She sounds like her, but was but is not, not like, like her. her. Sure, sure. Yeah, she's a, she's a lot. She's a lot weirder than Kathy Griffin. Yeah, it's that classic Julie Brown, Kathy Griffin. The description could be either the one. Conundrum. conundrum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Griffin Brown conundrum. Yeah. So yeah. That's what was on television that night. Cool. What was happening in the world? Not a lot, right? Yeah, not a lot. Just a general election that uh, elected the whatever the president <laughs> of the United uh, States. <laughs> who can do that kind of math? Uh, yeah, President Clinton got elected yesterday. Isn't that weird? Mazel tov to him. Say this episode had aired the day after President Trump got elected. Can you imagine watching this episode in that shell shock state? No. Like, no, I cannot. What a difficult, <laughs> what a difficult problem. Like, they're like, oh, can't we air this next week? Yeah. Yeah. No television. Yeah. Present, uh, do what the West Wing did after uh, 9-11. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that monologue. Danny Jacobson and Paul Reiser yeah. write a very special episode. Yeah. that. It- Hello. Tonight, we, we don't present to you an episode of television. As much as a play. A play. <laughs> it's This is non-canonical. <laughs> we'll get back to the regular hijinks of Paul and Jamie and, of course, Selby next week. This week, however, a young group of kindergartners will be visiting the Buckman's apartments. Or no, not kindergartners. I won't say, like, fourth graders. Yeah. Ryan and his friends will come by the Buckman's. <laughs> Or what if it was just incisive questions that make Paul and Jamie rethink everything? What if it was just 22 minutes of Richard Kind just going, what? Really? What? I would not only have it on tape, I would own the original film canister, I think. This guy? What? Really? Seriously? (laughs) What? You have got to be kidding me. (laughs) Did you hear? What? There was this fun little article about just people chit-chatting about the election on the day before the election and just how everyone's a buzz. I hear it from the guy in the urinal next to me in the subway in Delhi lines, which, of course, are the three classic New York locations. (laughs) Urinals, subways, and Delhi lines. I'm trying to think of what would be worse. What's the worst out of all of those? Probably the urinal. But still, to just be like, Look, if I was standing on a deli line still and somebody behind me was just like, boy, that president, huh? I'd still be like, shut up. Really? (laughs) Yeah. Not you? No. Who cares? I care. Oh, fair enough. Okay. Yeah. Uh, He goes, even my six-year-old, there's so much bombardment on TV. He says, dad, who's best for us? (laughs) And then it, it, it just keeps like all over the place. Let's see. Oh, so this is a diner in New Jersey, in Oyster Bay. That's New Jersey, right? 
That's Long Island. Oh, Long Island. Land mm-hmm. of Joey Buttafuoco and Amy Fisher. Great place. And the Seaford Oyster Bay Expressway. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, this is uh, the sweet shop in Oyster Bay. Okay. Democrats? Asked the waitress there. I don't know any Democrats. Mr. Skutatkis pointed to pass a cup of black coffee. The counter philosophers all believe this is a big one. At breakfast, they sit around talking about stuff like term limits. Really, in the 40 years I've been here, I don't remember anything like it. Even when Carter beat Ford. I don't think they were stirred up like this. When a woman leaned over to her friend and whispered, Oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. Can you not read this? <laughs> he wouldn't even allow abortions for someone raped. The waitress poked her head in. Who? Who's that? Hey, John, you don't, you don't mind if we talk less about abortions <laughs> on our podcast, do you? No, I just ran into that quote. <laughs> <laughs> I think I got a black eye. <laughs> so here's a little quote that relates to sort of uh, our mixed feelings about Dennis Miller. At O'Malley's Pub on Queens Boulevard, that's in New Jersey, right? The bartender, (laughs) Pat O'Day, just had to say, I'm voting for Bush. And Pat Keating, at the end of the bar, attacked, why not give Clinton a chance? This Clinton's bad for a bad one for Social Security, Pat, said Mr. O'Day. Who said that, Pat, said Mr. Keating. He's going to cut it back, Pat, said Mr. O'Day. No, he isn't, Pat. Yes, he is, Pat. Pat, I saw it in the papers, said Mr. O'Day. Do you believe everything you read in the papers, said Mr. Keating? Hey, this guy writes for the paper, said Mr. O'Day. I don't give a bleep. The New York Times didn't even print a... Wow. Anyway, he goes, you can write for the paper. Would you believe what you wrote? Oh, and then Pat goes, Bush believes in God. And Pat Keating says, who's God? (laughs) Wait, wait, spell who's. W-H-O-S-E? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, who's God? I thought he was saying, who is God? Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) I never heard of him. (laughs) God? What what's he look like? No, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I put the emphasis on the wrong syllable there. <laughs> you did. That's okay. But you see, people are just chit chatting about politics. They're still drinking at the same bar. Mm-hmm. It's nice. Oh, it's great. People were just as loud and uh, frustrated then as they are now. Actually, I don't think that that's true. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> Dateline, November four, nineteen ninety two. Go ahead. Police link victims of ambush in Queens to a mob faction. This Colombo family is a total disaster. <laughs> They're monsters. One man was killed and two were wounded by a gang of masked gunmen who fired into their car, which is classic. Sure. Classic mob hit because you can't run if you're in a car, which is smart, I guess. The wounded men were officers of a Queens carpenter local. Ugh. Oh, and one of them a, was a defendant, a... oh, in the so-called Windows case. Not Microsoft oh Windows. No, Not... I that would I'd take a hit out on that thing any day. Yeah. <laughs> Government Not a accused fan. the mob of controlling the lucrative window installation industry. The mob was in window installations. I did not see this going this way, John. Neither did I, because I'll be honest, I didn't read any of these. I just opened a bunch of links before we recorded today. <laughs> oh my gosh, I want to know everything about the window scandal now. Yeah. We'll include a link to the wiki page about the window installation there scandal must be one, of yeah. 1992. You know what we got to do? We got to Windex these windows, look through, and see the truth. <laughs> Open your eyes. Squeegee your mind, people. <laughs> the shooting occurred at 7 o'clock, which to me is so early. Went from four to six <laughs> men wearing hockey goalie masks, which is terrifying, and monster masks. This is real. 
This is like a horror movie. This is like a horror except movie. For, except for, like you said, the unreasonable time of day that it occurred at. Right. You're like, who Jump could wake up a, that yeah. better? No, they, Jump, uh, we're going to well, get this winter, guy. Though. We're going to get if this guy. Win- no, thanks. I got to yeah, sleep in. At least it was in. dark. <laughs> Narrow one-way street in Middle Village fired from a shotgun and semi-automatic weapons into a 1992 Lincoln Town Car. Oof. It's a miracle nobody else was killed. There were many gunshots on a residential avenue. If not for the rain... The streets would have been more crowded than they were. This is like out of literally out of a movie. Jeez. Anyway, so the mob is still very active. We're waiting for uh, Ray Kelly. Come on, and Ray. Dinkins. Step Come on, up. Dinkins. Step up, you guys. Will you two team up and do something about the mob? I'm so sick of this. I'm so <laughs> sick of reading these stories in the paper every day. Just once, I'd like to go a week without it being, hey, there was another mob hit in New York. Speaking of, 13 indicted in U.S. drive against mob. So that's some good news. Okay. Great job, everybody. <laughs> yeah. The Lucchesi family's uh, taking the hit. They're big. The, the Colombo yeah. family's giving the hits. The Lucchesi family's taking the hits. Will it ever end? Here's Okay. So last week we talked about that con man whose name I forget, DJ McDonald or something. That was a couple of weeks ago, but yeah. Whatever. So this guy, <laughs> man held his fake meter reader preying on the elderly. Oh, hey, this sounds familiar. This guy, Sean Brown, 39 of Brooklyn, arrested Friday, 20-something years ago, was going around to old people's homes and saying, I'm going to turn your water off if you don't pay me a few hundred bucks, which you are the water company. Wow. He made six grand doing this. See, now, that that feels... The, when we read it and when we discussed it last time, uh-huh. that we discussed the fraud case from Unsolved Mysteries, that felt very much like I was just like, no, oh, you know, it happens sometimes. You got rooked, guy. This, I'm just like, hey, that's illegal. <laughs> you can't just show up at a guy's door, pretend to be from the water company, and get money. That's true. You can relate better to it. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. I think it's illegal to impersonate a water a water utility employee, no? I'd imagine so. <laughs> this feels a little bit like Air Bud, where it's just like, ain't nothing in the rule book says you can't <laughs> pretend to be a water employee. Uh, Senator D'Amato won. Yes. He's back. Thank God. Mm-hmm. Thank God. Thumbs down. Yes. Oh, right. Yeah. We don't like him. We don't like him. I don't like him. You can like whomever you like. Me? Yeah. Thank you. Are you pro D'Amato? Uh, you know, get... Russ, I'm on the fence about D'Amato. I, I don't know. What more information do you need? The elections are 25 years ago. When these undecided voters, what kind of, when's this going to click for you? I just still, I can't. White settle on a... The jury's out on D'Amato, John. I got my mail-in ballot from 92. <laughs> There's one section that hasn't been voted on. Oh, gosh. Do you think I'd be done with the news? I'm not. I do think you are done with the news, and you are. No, continue. Touch, no, touching in with Amy Fisher. Amy Fisher, allowed to remain free on bail. Oh, mazel tov, Amy. Yeah. She's really going through the ringer for this schmuck. Yeah. Yeah, this really bothers me. She, I mean, she turns it into her life. Oh, and her father had a heart attack. Recently? This week. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> well, then, then. I get it. Miss Fisher, dressed in a conservative blue blazer, plaid skirt, and pumps, looked more like a nervous teenager applying for her first job than a convicted armed assailant. Come on. Yeah, lay off the kid. Not to. Ma- Am I going too easy on her? Is she like a psychotic murderer? Well, look. She shot a woman in the face for love. So in that respect, she's a psychotic attempted murderer. Sure. That being said, to be like, oh, she here's how she dressed. She dressed all conservative. 
she didn't look like a murderer person. It's just like, well, wh- what do you if if she had dressed? Yeah, she's damned if she does and damned if she doesn't. Absolutely, that's just sexist, and I won't take it. Same. Great. You know what, John? I'm glad we got that story in. I always search for Bonafucos. Always, because <laughs> you never know. <laughs> that, that's that, that is a great tagline for our show. Mad about always search for Butterfucos. Mad about mad about you. Always search for Butterfucos. Indeed. I love it. I never want anyone to totally understand what this podcast is about. No, it's a lot of fun going on Facebook because when you go to the Mad About Mad About You page, or when I do, you know, they're like, hey, how would you like to sponsor? You know, put a few dollars and we'll sponsor it. We've put together a little mini slideshow of some of your photos. So it'll start off with our logo, and then it'll go to Murray, and then it'll go to Joey Buttafuoco. <laughs> <laughs> and it makes me laugh every single time. He beats the entire cast except for the dog. Yeah, everybody else. And I think that's a f- oh, who knows which Murray that is. That's- I like to think it's the Murray that appeared in one episode. <laughs> in my heart, it's him. <laughs> that's the news that's fit to print this week. Nothing too exciting, but we got a mob hit and some Joey Buttafuoco news. So, Love it. You know, check. I call this a win. Check and check. So. It was directed by Paul Lazarus, mm-hmm. who directed Paul and the Family last week's. Mm-hmm. And these are the only two he ever did. Oh, okay. But guess what? What's up? He directed some Dream On. Okay. He very well might be responsible for introducing you to uh, some new uh, parts of the female anatomy when you were a kid. Probably, undoubtedly, yeah. And he directed the legendary 12 Lasagnas episode of Friends, the one with the 12 Lasagnas. That's Excuse a good one. me. It's a great one. Mm hmm. And this is interesting. He directed a documentary called Slingshot, which is about the inventor of the Segway's attempt to solve the clean water crisis. I'm fascinated. Wow. I want to watch it. I would absolutely like to watch that. Water stresses me out so much. Does it stress you out? No. Why does water stress you out? Because it's it's become a commodity, and it should, shouldn't ever have been one. You know what? That's fair. You're, you're in L.A. You guys have had a drought for what? How long? Uh, who knows? It depends who you talk to. Depends who you talk to. Yeah, years. You know what? I've got water privilege. And I'm saying that like a joke, but it's also very true. New York has the best tap water in the country. Mm-hmm. And it's also available all the time. But also, I mean, like companies buy water reservoirs and they bottle their water there. When it's like that water should belong to whatever community, you know, has access to it. It's true. Or whatever municipality. Are you going to run for office? No. You should. Yeah, I'm going to run against the motto. <laughs> you can take him down. <laughs> this episode was also written by another writing team. It's oh. sort of, it's, they, they bring in a lot of writing teams, which is sweet, the first season. This is a team made up of Sally Lapidus and Pamela Eels. Okay. They both wrote on Family Matters. Great. Mad About You and The Nanny. And then they sort of went their separate, oh, and a little of Ellen. And then they went their separate ways. Way to go, and ladies. Sally Lapidus is now writing on the current Spanish version of Mad About You. Oh, that's very neat. Oh, and here's something a little fun. Sally was discovered by Catherine Hepburn while she was doing a production of The Seagull. Well, Sally was, I believe, at the Pittsburgh Public Theater, and she became Catherine Hepburn's personal assistant. Well, that's pretty cool. Isn't that fun? Yeah. And this about her, I found this profile in The Advocate from the 90s. Because her and her sister are both lesbians. Okay. And were both high-level TV writers and producers in the 90s. Way to go. That's great. Yeah. 
Yeah. Love it. What a great story. And then I had to stop because I was like, this could take the rest of my day. Yeah, it sure could. And or the rest of this podcast. (laughs) Oh, if you want more on them, go look for it. It's great. It's fascinating. So what happens in this cold open, John? This is a cold open I remember. It was burned into my mind for some reason since I was a kid. But Paul is at the dresser, you know, in their pajamas. It's nighttime and he's counting subway. He's stacking subway tokens. Mm -hmm. It seems like he's making stacks for the week, maybe. I don't know what he's doing. It is. I don't either. Weird. He is. Ca- it, it is just plain old, strange behavior. Where it's just, he's. I mean, I'll just. I'll put it out there right now. This is not my favorite episode. I wasn't looking forward to recapping this one. I really did not like this episode a lot. This is my least favorite. But here's episode. what's weird. I love so many of the jokes and bits in it. There are great bits. Great bits. Yeah. And I can't figure out why I don't like the episode as much. But I know exactly why. We'll get there. Keep going. Well, so he's stacking subway, so he's making little neurotic stacks of tokens mm-hmm. on the dresser, and Jamie comes in in a nightgown reading the paper. Mm-hmm. She tosses it on the bed. In my head, I like to imagine the Sunday Times, <laughs> because it also feels like a Sunday night, and he's like getting tokens ready for the week, you know? Okay. I honestly wasn't sure if it was tokens or change, but I think you're probably right. It's probably tokens. Oh, no. It's subway tokens. Yeah. Because I did realize that they were all copper, and I was like, that's a lot of pennies. And you're like, hey, there's subway tokens, you know, like the oh, focus no of the rest of the episode. Was nuts. Yeah. Anyone making stacks of pennies that are seven pennies tall in 1992 is out of their mind. Yeah, you're right. People making stacks of subway tokens is totally uh, above board. Well, absolutely, because you just grab a stack on your way out. You've got an answer for everything. Well, I thought a lot about this. <laughs> so he's stacking this, and Jamie is giving him a hard time about it. Yeah, as maybe she should. Yes. And they get into it a little. Mm-hmm. He starts going back at her about how she reads the paper in an annoying way. This is a recurring theme for the episode. is, And I guess really the show. I can think of other episodes where it's just like, hey, I've got a problem with the way that you do this thing. And then they respond, well, what about the way you do this thing? Sure. Uh, nobody can just take it and be like, you know what? You're right. That's something I got to work on. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. I can't. Stand it anymore every night, stacking, arranging, aligning, adjusting, annoying. Can't you let me live? They're all gonna wind up back in your pocket anyway, all jumbled together in a big mess. Hey, hey, do I complain about the way you read a newspaper? Yes. I mean, every morning, snapping and folding and creasing like a like an origami festival. <laughs> but yeah, so she gives it back, or he gives it back rather, with a comment about the way that she reads the paper. She gets out of bed and musses all of the change, knocks it all down. Yeah, like if this was happening in a drama, the scene would be devastating. Yes, the tokens, you know, Yeah, It'd be like a mean lady wrecking the stacks mm-hmm. and then the person making the stacks freaking out. Yeah, he goes into the huge bathroom and we hear a gunshot. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the seagull. Yeah, exactly. The dramatic arc of the seagull happened because of subway tokens, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Jamie, the fact of the matter is <laughs> Trep Love Buckman is just killed himself <laughs> curtain <laughs> but he left behind this play <laughs> oh no so he tries to go to bed because he's been shamed yes and he lays there and he, he just can't do it without making the stacks mm-hmm. so he gets back out of bed and makes the stacks what a cold open do you have any heavy ocd stuff like that yeah actually i guess i always have to check that the doors locked multiple times and the stove's off yeah even though i don't cook like i haven't turned the stove on no mm-hmm. joke in weeks but yeah. i still check it just gotta make like, sure religiously yeah. yeah 
Do you? No, you're weird. Uh, <laughs> I don't do stove stuff enough because we also have a pilot light that isn't very strong. Or rather, it's, it's not very solid and safe. It's not always on. And so, like, there will definitely be times where it'll be like, time will pass, and it'll be like an hour later, and then I'll be like, hey, I smell gas. And it's like, oh, the pilot light isn't lit and hasn't been lit for who knows how long. So the fact that sometimes it's like, hey, did you check the pilot light since you cooked hours ago? And I'll be like, no. It's like, hey, Russ, you need to be a little bit more OCD about this. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) So. That's a good call. Yeah. Every time I think about the gas with the pilot light and the smell of it, I think of that episode of Friends where Ross is flirting with the pizza girl and he says, do you smell gas? And then she comes back and he's just like, you know, they put that in. And she says, they put what in? And he says, the smell for the gas. Oh, I do remember that. I didn't know where you were going. Yeah. Yes, yes, that's and very he, funny. Yeah, he's like, so that you know there's a leak. It's naturally odorless, but it's for you. And she's like, okay. And then he closes the door <laughs> and he's like, was I just talking about gas? <laughs> and then Phoebe, I think it's Phoebe says, what else do they add smells to? <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Really, really funny. I would... Well, the first time I called nine one one in New York when I lived in New York was a, a gas smell. Really? Yeah, on the street corner of First uh, Ave and Twelfth. Do you know what happened? No. Yeah, but I do know that at the time I thought I was crazy, and then several years later, of course, there was a gas leak that caused an explosion a few blocks south That's of there. Right. It's horrific, but it also, you know, it's, it's less than everyone. If you smell gas, call someone. Yeah, where were you that second time? L.A. Probably on the beach. Probably on the beach. Do you feel any personal responsibility for not from that one? Listen, I got a pretty good sense of smell, but it doesn't have a 3,000 mile range. <laughs> oh, man. So we go to the credits, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It was just a mech cold open, right? Look, it was a mech cold open, and it was the best part of the episode. Oh, I couldn't disagree more. Ooh, this will be interesting. We're going to get into it, guys. This could be the last episode. I'm sorry. Like, look, I, it's going to take a lot for me. to. I'm glad that we've had so much fun leading up to this episode because this episode on the whole, I'm just not a, it really bummed me right out. All right. So scene one, we're in the living room slash kitchen. You know, it's, it's the next day I thought, but as the episode progresses, I'm not sure anymore. It feels yeah, like the next weekend. Day. I think, I think but it's, it's got to be in the weekend. Yeah. I feel like still, right? Because of what happens. Right. So anyway. Murray is wet. Murray is wet. Jamie, well, we see the outside and it's pouring. Right. And we come in and Jamie is toweling off Murray. Mm-hmm. It looks like she just took him for a rainy, miserable walk. Mm-hmm. And Jamie tells Murray he stinks. Yep. And that they've become really close, which I guess, I guess that makes sense. But it never occurred to me that like, oh, Murray's Paul's dog. Like Murray came with Paul. Yeah, it's always very nice when that happens, when pet owners tend to like when they adopt a pet basically it's just like you i I didn't i'm in this for the guy and you're part of the system but now i love you too that's nice well i mean that's family yeah i love you john that's all all i love you too (laughs) i mean that's the brady bunch except with kids instead of dogs (laughs) oh can you imagine the brady bunch with dogs Ugh, i hate dogs just he, 
Mike Brady has three dogs. Carl Brady has three dogs. <laughs> the dogs can't get along that well. But uh, they do. How are they going to get The together? dogs really have each other's back as they get older. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's no conflict at all. <laughs> I tell you, it'd be just as boring. <laughs> I was really not a Brady Bunch guy. Oh, man. So Paul comes in later, a moments later. Soaking wet, a lot of prop gags, which I all thought were fun. Soaking, he's got the those he his the tops of his thighs are soaking wet, <laughs> and very little else. You know how In sometimes his umbrella? that's not true. Oh, his shirt's look, soaking. His shirt, the top of his shirt is soaking, and his hair is wet. And his, as far as his pants go, it's just his thighs. It's literally just his thighs that are wet. Is it really? Yeah. And he's like, they gave him schlumpy pants and just like They spray. did give him weird pants. He's got weird pants. They were just like, this will present the image of wetness. They will be schlumpy pants, but really only the tops of your thighs will be oh, a darker shade. They should have wet the bottoms of his pants. Yeah. That's what gets wet. Yes. But this is your point, I guess. Basically. But yeah, unless he was just sitting outside, like sitting down in the outside and then just made a mad dash to the apartment. Sure. Well, he had an umbrella, mm-hmm. which is another sight gag, and he comes right. in and his umbrella is just completely and utterly destroyed. Yeah. Which is funny to me, because I can relate. I can relate as well. We've already spoken about my pension for umbrellas. For- we have, at length. Yes, for buying $3,000 umbrellas. <laughs> he makes an acid rain joke, which I haven't heard that term since I was in grade school. Me neither, but this was a great joke about it. You know what concerns me here, honey? Acid rain. Because I'm pretty sure when I left the office, I was wearing a hat. Did we fix acid rain? We don't hear about it much anymore, which yeah, probably... Yeah, we just stopped. Yeah, I think it's that up. one. I think it's more that. Yeah. It's not, hey, there's no more acid rain, as much as just, look, we've got a lot of other problems, folks. Yeah, that's true. Right. But yeah, remember the good old days when we were worried about acid rain? <laughs> about the pH of rain being a little high? <laughs> I mean, low, low. I mean, low. low. Yeah. Everybody tweet at John. Oh, tell him no. that, Tell him that acids are low on the pH oh, scale. All you science geeks with Twitter accounts. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, Russ found this on the Internet a couple weeks ago, and there was nothing particularly interesting in it today about today's episode. But there is a Caltech Mad About You <laughs> episode guide from like the early aughts. Mm hmm. That is just a bunch of like nerdy engineers dorking out on Mad About You. Yeah. And we will be bringing you guys tidbits from there as the show progresses. There are prodigy email accounts. There's Nexus Lexus. It goes old yeah, school. Some good internet nostalgia. So we find out that the reason he walked instead of taking the subway. Mm-hmm. So like, are they coming from work? Where are they coming from? I think it's the end of the day. I think they're coming. Yeah. From she work. walked. She was she walking walked the Murray. dog. He was coming from work. Yes. Because he has his bag, too, his messenger bag. Right. And we find out that he's been avoiding the token guy on the subway. Mm-hmm. And that he has some old classmate who's now a token taker. Right. And he feels guilty. What is your problem with this guy? I feel badly for him, okay? You know, we went to film school together, and now, and now he's a token taker? That's just so, you know, I'm, I'm making movies, he's making chains. So? So, can you imagine what this guy's life is like? I mean, every day stuck in a, in a cramped, airless cage and the, the noise and the, the fumes, the bodily fluids everywhere. Just because someone works in a subway doesn't mean they're miserable. 
No, I'm sure he's the happiest man under the earth. Well, we'll get to the why, but we don't once, know why yet. But right? once we get to the why, it doesn't make the why any better. <laughs> Russ has a lot of negative feelings uh, about this one. I, this is. I watched this episode three times. Why? I no watched, you hate it. Well, no, I watched it the first time and I hated it, and then I watched it the <laughs> second time to take notes during to try and get quotes or moments or whatever. I try to watch sure. it once just to watch it the second time to to note up. And then I did that, and Jen wasn't home, and I told her, I was just like, oh, I watched my least favorite episode of this show. I was telling her about it, and she was like, you want to watch it again? I was like, yeah, sure, I'll watch it again. (laughs) So I watched it with her, and I was like, I'm very interested in seeing, you know, what the response is, what my Mm -hmm. reaction is to watch it with a person and with you rather than alone. And Mm -hmm. the answer is, I liked it a little bit more, but also still hated it. Wow. Yeah. Did she like it? Not really. She was just like, that's a weird one. There were a few moments where we laughed, but it was a weird one. Yeah. It's a weird one. Yeah. Well, Jamie reveals that she got him a surprise. Right. And she goes and fetches it. I bet you'll thank me when I show you the surprise I brought you. Well, it would have to be a really good surprise. It's a great one. In fact, some people say it's the greatest show on earth. Get out of here. The circus? The circus? Will you, you would do that for me? VIP seats, including back tent passes. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love when you use your high-powered PR connections. Mm, actually, oh. my connections fell through. I had to sleep with all the Willendas. Tickets to the circus, exactly what everybody wants. VIP seats, back tent passes. Back tent passes, that's a good bit. That's a fun little bit. And it's a Big Apple Circus, which means it's at Lincoln Center. Mm-hmm. I had to sleep with all the Walendas for this joke. That's a fun for uh, for for these tickets. That's a great joke. Do you know that joke? Yeah. You know about what the, do you mean? You know about the Walendas? I mean, I, I was pretty sure I knew. I googled it just in case. Yeah, but yeah. It's an old Highwire Act family. Yeah, they still are. They're the. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, I can't believe it. That dude, I believe it's Nick. Just he's the guy who a couple of years ago walked across a tightrope across Niagara Falls and across the Grand Canyon. Oh no, kidding! Yeah, he's a Walenda amazing yeah they've been around since 1929 yeah website said so yeah i got a kick out of that joke yeah it's a very good joke yeah it's nice to have a willenda reference everybody everybody needs a willenda reference every now and then but upon being given these tickets paul just he turns into for the next couple scenes a little boy yes he's just he's filled with glee he's excited about the little circus stuff who knew Paul Buckman was so into the circus. Nobody, because he has never mentioned it before, and I bet he never mentions it again. (laughs) Well, we're still establishing who these people are, you know? (laughs) You're right. We are establishing who these people are. So we better see Paul be a huge circus fan for the rest of this show. Well, you know what's weird? As the audience knows, we both watched this show during very formative years in our lives. Mm -hmm. And as I was, you know, curating my personality, (laughs) I added a love of the circus i think did you really this episode i really did and i always wanted to see the circus in new york because paul buckman saw the circus and was excited about it and i have seen the circus in new york because of it and every time i see the big apple circus on tdf or something selling cheap tickets or walk by it at lincoln center i get excited to think of this episode that's adorable i you know what i like this episode more now yeah i saw the circus i saw ringling brothers at madison square garden how cool like eight years ago, I lo- when they had the elephants. I like the circus a whole lot. I know it sounds like I don't, like I've got circus hate. It does. Paul is 
very extreme about his love of this circus. Yes. And he's, he's so he's rifling through the tickets. Why are so many tickets in here? Don't tell me that you're being you invited by Anna Mark and Ryan. Ryan. No, why? Why? You would begrudge a five-year-old child a trip to the circus? Well, he's a five-year-old brat. I wrote this in my notes. Ryan is a little monster. I can't read what I wrote in my notes because we try to keep this show clean. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Wow. Yeah. Ryan's a monster. We're in scene two. Yeah. So the last scene ends. Jamie's making tea, which is sweet. Helen Hunt is just so good at, like, doing stuff. Yeah. And looking natural anytime they're talking. Like, she will find a natural activity to do in any situation. Yeah. They made a, a reference to that in the, the commentary for the first episode, I think, where they yeah, were just the like. Yeah, the Q-tip, right? No, that that came a little bit later. Oh, but in sure. the first episode, she's just like she's either cooking or she's doing something with the lasagna, whatever she's doing. Yeah. But uh, they talk about how good she is, you know, acting while uh, acting with props and yeah, acting while great. doing tasks. She yeah. does a million different things, and she does. Yeah. Um, uh, also, I'm sorry. I'm just going to jump in really quick to point out that speaking of the pilot, we took note way back when that they have that weird mask hanging on the wall. Yes. Is it gone? It's still there. No, oh, it's still, still there. there. No, I know. Yeah, yeah. I noticed it too. So weird mask update, still there. Still there. They have horrible decorating impulses, quite honestly. Yeah. yeah. Hideous couch, the gold mask. <laughs> that beautiful Ooh. Eames chair must have been a gift. Hideous couch and the gold mask. That's my favorite country western song. <laughs> Don't laugh at that. That's so stupid. <laughs> I was laughing at how stupid it was. Scene two. Great. <laughs> This is the next day, probably, living room. Immediately, the Devonows show up. You know, door opens. It's uh, Fran and Ryan, the little terror monster, mm -hmm. nightmare, problem child, spoiled oh. brat. Hey, hey, Ryan, all set for the big fun night? Mom! Hey, hey, sweetie, ask before you grab. You guys are very late. If we miss the clown cavalcade, the whole evening is shut. Well, there's a lot of weird things that occur. Like, there's no Mark, right? Mark is not in yet. That's right. And it's because he's outside... Because he's terrified of Murray. Where is Mark? Fran? Will you come in already? The dog is not here. <laughs> Mark, he's a pussycat. Where did this come from? Well, we don't know. We don't know why he's terrified of Murray. Because he's been he over there before. Been, yes, and he hasn't been terrified of Murray. Also, everybody's saying, hey, he's fine. But when we see Murray... He is growling at Mark. Which also, he never really growls, I feel like. He never really growls That's at part anybody. Of his bit. Yeah. He's growling at Mark now, and everybody's saying, Mark, relax. And it's like, no, Mark has a right to be worried oh, because Murray is growling at him. Well, Paul and Ryan, while Mark's being terrorized, Paul and Ryan basically go in like a little competitive kid off about mm -hmm. all sorts of things. Like, Ryan loves Murray, and Ryan's like, oh, does he say something like, oh, the dog is mine? My doggy! Well, it's my doggy, and uh, frankly, it's my light. I got a better one. <laughs> well, you might want to check this out, Ryan. He's a child. You can't let him win. Hey, hey, hey. No, 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 no. Ryan, Ryan, you play nice. Ryan shows off his little noisemaker for the circus, mm -hmm. the little tube you whirl around that makes a noise. Mm -hmm. And then Paul's like, I got a bigger one. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, but also, what does he call it? He calls it, it sounded like he said a light. He did call it a light. And so, this is a thing, I'm yeah. like, did they not edit? There are a couple of moments in this episode where I'm just like, 
did this script not get revised? Where it's like, that is not a light. We can all see that that is not a light. Well, do you call think that's it a some kind of slang? Thing. You think it's circus slang? Well, I think that's more <laughs> logical than someone sitting down, envisioning this scene, typing it out, and using the word light instead of whatever the real word is. I think You maybe... think that writer thought it was a light? No, I think they wrote it saying, hey, let's get a light, like one of those torches or a plastic thing where you press a button and it lights up. And then the day of the shoot came and they didn't have a light. They had a whirl around. Right. And... And they didn't change the line, and so the kid called it a light, and it's a little whirl-around thing. You just blew my... That is such an incisive, brilliant analysis of what occurred. I love it when you flatter me for the most basic stuff. <laughs> that has the, like... That has the, like... What's this phrase? The melody of truth. That's not the phrase, but... Uh, that's you know what i'll take it that's my new nickname i'm gonna run with that yeah. russ the melody of truth fader <laughs> but no you're right oh that's so crazy then yeah Ugh. and what do you call it's it a whirl like, around that's a good name uh, that's it. what that i'm real? calling it that's what i'm calling it right now or you just drop the line just say hey well i've got this man imagining paul buckman saying well i got a bigger whirl around is pretty funny <laughs> So he shows off his bigger toy, and then mm-hmm. Ryan evidently has a toy whip, I guess like a yes. lion tamer would. Oh, thank you. Oh, because I was trying to make sense of what that would be and why it would be there. Because I'm like, what is he actually using as a whip? And I'm I like, it was I'm a looking jump at rope. It, I'm like, that just looks like a whip. Right. And I'm like, why the hell does he have a whip? But like a toy whip, too. Yes. It didn't look like an adult, like a leather Indiana Jones whip. It didn't look like it, but I guess they couldn't find a sound effect for toy whip oh, because I, when he, yeah. he just, But that's pretty funny, I think. Oh, it was great. That was it one of my It made me laugh hard. Yeah, the bigger whips, laughs of so, the show. Yeah, so to heighten Paul being a baby, Ryan whips Paul in the leg very hard. <laughs> With a whip, he pulls out a friend's purse. Yes. So, so then Jamie happens. comes in yeah. from, honestly, God knows where. Don't know where. Like, what was she at work? She says traffic traffic's was bad. bad. But where did she cut? She didn't have any shopping bags or anything. So it's like, what, don't know. what? You know what? There are some things we don't need to know. It's her life. She's, she doesn't have to answer to us. Oh, wow. Fair point. <laughs> Great. No, you're right. <laughs> I, I just feel like I just set you in your place. Yeah. Hey, John. Hey, John. Relax <laughs> on Jamie. You know what I did realize? We, uh, we never talk about her bangs or scrunchies as we promised we would on Twitter. That's true. And I never notice it because I just don't. And then every time it ends, I thought, boy, you know what? I didn't even look at her hair once. I also didn't. And I'm going to be honest. I think we promised we would on Twitter, but I, I don't think I, I'm probably not going <laughs> to. Probably not going to. That yeah. being said, if any listeners want to chime in and let us know what they think of bangs or scrunchies, we will absolutely let the world know. We will take it under advisement. Absolutely. We will be your mouthpieces regarding bangs and scrunchies. Absolutely. So Jamie comes in, traffic's bad, which means they should probably take the subway. Mm-hmm. But as we've established, Paul avoids the subway. Right. But he doesn't want to say why yet. So he makes up some old thing like, oh, it's bad luck to be underground and under the big top on the same day. That's a cute thing. Sure. It's cute. Yeah. A little joke that hinges on the double use of the word under. Mm hmm. Uh-huh. So then is that when Ryan starts freaking out? No, there's one more little bit that I love 
It's like a classic. I love anytime in the 90s or even now, a good old fashioned New York City pee joke. Ryan, sweetie, do you need to make tinkle? You can go on a subway like everybody else. Hey, news alert. New York City smells like urine. Do, 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 do. Stay home. <laughs> so Ryan wants to invite Murray to the circus mm-hmm. because he wants to spend more time with Murray. Mm-hmm. And then when they say we can't take Murray to the circus because he's a dog, Ryan loses his mind. Yes. And Fran should say, hey, Ryan, chill out. Instead, she says, don't thwart him. <laughs> he doesn't yes. like to be thwarted. Don't thwart him. I mean, they do him. a good job of establishing even early on in the series, that they, they spoil him. They are the worst parents. Like, they justify why Ryan's such a monster. Yes. Which is satisfying, at least. Ugh. It's funny. I would imagine it'd be even funnier if I was a parent. Sure. Because they'd be like, ugh, well, look at what they're doing. It's classic bad parenting. Sure. And he is freaking out so much that people start to offer... Volunteer to stay. Yeah. Jamie starts off. She says, I'll stay home with him. <laughs> then, mm-hmm. then this kid's mother... Says, mm-hmm. he's my child. He's my burden. I'll stay. You all go and have fun. That's a crazy thing to say. He's right there. Do you know yeah. that? Can you imagine hearing your mother call you a burden? Oh, the worst. Just the, the worst. Worst. You, you know what else, John? I'm sorry to put a quick pause on this. It's similar to the way that our country moved past acid rain for bigger flaws and sins. Uh-huh. We are not talking, you know, they are such bad parents that we are not talking at all about Fran's purple beret and raincoat choices today. It's a lot. (laughs) Oh, I think, I always think, I like these 90s clothes. I think everyone looks very cute. Well, fine then. So Richard Kind sort of try, or excuse me, Mark (laughs) Devenow, sort of tries to take control of the situation and say, all right, that's it. Ryan, we're leaving. Oh, but before I'm and we're so- all going to the circus. Yes, I'm sorry, but before that, yeah, he has one of my favorite deliveries of anything when it's Mark's time to play the martyr, right? And he just says, "No, I'll stay." Ugh, Richard Kind, you are one of the best actors in the country. You know, now is the time for me to mention that I've heard from more than one listener mm-hmm. in regards to. Hey, how did you, Russ, find a co-host who sounds exactly like Richard Kind? Sure, sure. The answer is, we found each other, friends. I'm just blessed. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I mean, I did a little, uh, I was at an open mic a couple days ago in LA, and this I did my thing, and then another guy went up later and was like, you know, you look exactly and sound exactly like Richard Kind. <laughs> Also, I don't know if you know this, but my girlfriend, uh, I don't know, a year or two ago, got me one of the most thoughtful and bizarre and funny gifts I've ever been given. What's that? It's an autographed headshot of Richard Kind that she got on eBay. Stop it. So it hangs in my bathroom. <laughs> because of some, I forget the story exactly, but Richard Kind told some disgusting story about bathroom like it was a george clooney richard kind classic story about their bathroom in like the 80s or so you know when they Uh lived in la together so i was like oh that's a perfect place that's so funny i'm going to have to require you to post that oh good call yeah i'll take a photo yeah so stay tuned for that everybody (laughs) boy we are really doing our best to not talk about this episode (laughs) i would love to not talk about this episode oh so Richard Kind, after he, after he plays the hero, you know, just tries to like make everything get back on track. 
Yep. And instead, it devolves into total chaos now. Mm-hmm. Ryan's screaming. Fran picks him up to try to, like, chill him out. And while that's happening, Murray comes out or backs Mark into a wall and starts climbing on him and barking like Cujo. Yep. And Paul and Jamie just sort of creep out of the apartment. Yes. And probably into commercial land. Yes. They have escaped the apartment. We say goodbye to Mark and Franz. Scene three. The subway station. We come back in. We're at the West West 4th Street Station. Which is a big one. It's a hub for those of you who are non-New Yorkers. I don't know what trains would have been running through there exactly in the 90s, though. Quite odd. You know, I don't... um, I know the specifics of the loose history of the subway system you know mm-hmm. irt bmt but I, I couldn't tell you which one went where and what the numbers and letters were that well right 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 so we get wish to, i could wish, wish you could sorry you'll have to figure that out for yourselves everybody the graffiti on the wall as they come down the stairs yeah <laughs> do you can read were loud and nick i'll tell you who put that up there nick and his friend loud <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like there's a story. They had one can of paint. <laughs> hey, Nick. Yeah, loud. Hey, hand me that when you're done, will you? Of course. We're best friends. <laughs> you don't think it was more like, hey, Nick. <laughs> yeah, loud. Yeah, loud. <laughs> I feel like there has to be a story behind those two. Oh, tags, gosh. But I don't know what and who cares. We'll never know. I'll put that to the list of annoying questions we'll ask in Great. the interview. Fantastic. So Paul and Jamie are creeping down the stairs to the mm-hmm. subway. And Paul doesn't want to go all the way. He doesn't want to talk to whoever's in the booth right. because it's his old classmate that he right. feels he screwed over. He wants right. Jamie to buy the tokens for him. Yes. And she says, why? Uh, why can't you just do this? And he says, I don't want this guy blaming me for his life. What possible reason could he have for blaming you? Well, I don't know. Maybe he's bitter. Maybe he's jealous of me. I don't know. Maybe... Well, maybe both our senior projects were due on the same day, but I got to the editing room five minutes earlier, so I got the good movie, Olin, and how he showed up, and he got mad, and he never finished his film, and he dropped out of school, and he ended up here. Maybe. It's like his sliding doors moment. Basically. It's sliding doors if everybody was mad and yelling at everybody all the time, if that's what that movie was. Oh, I see why you don't. Okay, sure, sure. I see why you don't like this show, this episode a little. So, yeah, Paul feels responsible for this guy currently being a Working, yeah. subway token guy but also can i just ask a question please what happened to the eight hundred thousand tokens that were in their bedroom that's a great question it may be part of why i thought that they were uh just coins anyway anyway helen F- helen forgives him <laughs> yeah yeah she says you know, she very sort of sweet. absolves him yeah, yeah she absolves him but also it's like hey hey jamie go buy this guy some tokens Stand on your principle another time. Well, but at the same time, it's like this is the perfect opportunity to get him to grow a little. Why is it the perfect opportunity? They're running late. He's like, hey, I don't want to do this. I feel bad about it. Because it sounds like they've established that Paul never takes the the subway from West 4th Street. So now that they're finally there together, she can push him into doing this so that he can start using it again like a normal New Yorker. Fine. I'm Team All, Jamie on this one. Thumbs down to, to to you and to Team Jamie. And also, I don't know why he can't just go and get tokens from some other station or some other place at West Forth since we've already established that it's a hub. Go well, down a different thing. entrance. Yeah. West Forth is huge. Yeah. This is a very tiny West yeah. Forth. Yeah. Um, but what are you going to do? What are, what are you going to do? So 
<laughs> she convinces him to approach. Yep. And we do. We cut to a wide shot, and we see that Howie, this former classmate, is Steve Buscemi. It's Mr. Pink himself. Mr. P- oh, very good. Before he was Mr. Pink, I think, right? If not before, then right around the same time. I feel like he's got his Mr. His Mr. Pink facial hair and uh, and haircut. Reservoir Dogs was ninety two. Ninety two, right? Yeah. Pulp Fiction was ninety four, and this was before that. So it was yeah. released on January twenty first. Oh, so that means probably shot right around the same time. No, no, no. Jan twenty one ninety two. It came out, okay. which means when you see him here, he's already Mr. Pink. Yes. So this is a big fascinating. Get. It is. Well, was that a big movie then? Uh, or did you it know like, what? That's take fair. a minute. It, I don't know. I have no idea. I'm not sure. I know it. I know it was very well received. I'm not sure if it made him a huge star or if that really yeah. happened with Pulp Fiction. For but some people, probably, this was a big thrill, or they were yes. like, "Sell out!" Right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. So we meet Steve Buscemi, and Paul puts on a funny voice to ask for his tokens, and yeah, that's funny fine. little voice because uh, you know they, they they think he's gonna they're gonna be able to trick him, and but they're also mm-hmm. hoping he won't remember because honestly, we've established that this was a long time ago, right? And there's a chance that, like, Paul's blowing something that's innocuous way out of proportion and is obsessed with a thing that maybe this other guy had forgotten about. You know what? That's true, and that's fine. Yeah. I'll, I'll, ta- I'll take that. I'll take that response. Because they sure. say it. They're like, he, he might not even recognize it. Uh, having two, please. <laughs> Paul Buckman? Huh? It's you. Who are you? Are you talking to me? Because I can't, I can't hear you. Through the glass. We can't, we can't hear you. Paul Buckman. <laughs> this whole thing blows up in Jamie's face. So all of Paul's fears are confirmed. Are 100% true. Are comically true. Comically true. Which I think was very fun and satisfying. Well, good for you. Because <laughs> I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> so immediately upon hearing this token order... Steve Buscemi's character, Howie, looks up and immediately recognizes Paul. Paul Buckman. He's like, I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. (laughs) Yeah, he goes into the intercom. Paul Buckman! Yeah. And, you know, here's something that, and maybe, look, maybe we're supposed to believe that he wasn't this way earlier, but uh, when Paul was explaining, I feel like I might have ruined his life and he's here now, and at no point did he say, also... Howie's a crazy person. He's very mean. <laughs> and, well, he might uh, not have been. He might not have been. It might have pushed him over the right, edge. Right, right. But, oh, boy, oh, boy. I'm sure I'm attributing that to Steve Buscemi's general appearance, where it's just like, <laughs> look, if he looked like that back in college, <laughs> then, yeah, he's always been crazy. <laughs> yeah, I wonder what both of their films were. That's a good question. Like, I wonder what his first documentary was in college, like his first big documentary yeah. in college. And I want to know what Howie's film was that he didn't edit. Like, I bet it was a piece of junk anyway. Yeah, Paul's was about jazz. I mean, and how Howie's... bad was this bad moviola? Oh, we yeah. have to look. I hated Paul's was La La Land. I hated hearing the word moviola so much. Why? We got to stop saying it. I loved the term moviola. Oh, this might be our last episode. <laughs> You know what? That's fine. <laughs> um. So, uh, so basically, annoying. Howie, right. but he t- he sort of puts on a not a friendly face, but he's like, "Why don't you come on in the token booth, take a look around?" Yeah. And they're like, they're trying to get going, and he's like, "No, no, no, I insist." No, no, no. 
I insist. So they go in. And then, yeah, Paul just, yeah, they schmooze for a second. Like a lot of schmoozing. Yeah. Like condescending schmoozing. Wow, this is, this is nice. This is, I've never been inside one of these things before. You know, it's deceptive. It really is, because on the outside, it looks very cramped in here. You know, then you come inside and it's roomy. It really is, don't you think? It's very roomy. You could throw a party in here. Especially they give you the cushy chair and you got a great view. I mean, look at all those tokens. And then uh, Steve Buscemi basically says everything that Paul already said about him. So, Paul, I'll, I'll bet you'd forgotten all about me, hadn't you? Oh, on the contrary. I mean, he talks about you all the time. All the time. You know, I hadn't forgotten about you. You know, I keep living that morning over and over until it's burned in my brain. Me getting to the editing room five minutes late, you already get the good movieola laughing. No, I wasn't laughing. And gloating, just like you're gloating now. Are you gloating? No, I wasn't there, never. There's been no gloating. You know, it's your fault that I'm here. And now you, you, you follow me down to the stinking hellhole? Why, to rub it in my face? Yeah, he All remembers right, so every part of that morning, beat for beat. And then Steve Buscemi starts throwing tokens at Paul and Jamie. Yeah, it gets kind of freaky. Yeah, it's, it gets, he, and, he yeah. plays a great psychotic. He closes first. He he like sort of counters countercrosses them to the yeah. token booth door and just shuts it. Yes, and you're like, what's going on? And it this just is sort like of if Mad About builds. You. This is like if a Mad About You episode was written by Louis C.K. Yeah, actually, that's very oh, what a, what a great little um, simile, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> that's. That's the kind of incisive commentary that you get from watching 22 minutes of comedy or serial comedy three times. <laughs> yeah, sure. No, you're right. This could go real dark, and it kind of does, actually. It really, really does. This feels like a Larry Charles episode of a sitcom. Yeah. Where it just goes real dark. Mm-hmm. So he starts whipping tokens at them, throws them all up in the air, and sprints out of that booth. And then they say, so that went well. Yeah, and Paul sarcastically thanks Jamie. Well, this was a good idea, honey. Thank you. Yeah, so that's... honestly, she deserves it. Look, she may deserve it, but also it's just like, fine. (laughs) Well, you need a button to get out of a a scene. You do. You do. That is a fine button to get out of this scene. So scene four, later. Yeah. And Jamie is getting ready to leave the booth and paul is saying we can't just leave the booth unmanned how he's going to get fired yes and jamie says so and for the one millionth time jamie is right so what, what? you don't think you think that it's uh, they, they, he just threw he just assaulted them it is okay to leave this stranger who assaults you to not have a job anymore for, especially since the fact that he has that job, you're only doing it because you feel guilty. You shouldn't feel guilty. It is not your fault. John is rubbing his face. This is he so is rubbing fascinating. Because while it's not like our favorite episode, boy, is it bringing up a lot of interesting like moral and ethic. I don't know. You're right. You're making a good point. Yeah. But he is really caring for his fellow man. And he's like, I can't take away the one last thing that I haven't taken away from him already. Which Sometimes. Is- his token booth job. Yeah, but you know what? He's preventing him from hitting rock bottom. And sometimes you gotta. You gotta take responsibility for your actions. You cannot throw tokens at somebody. Yeah, this episode's and brought leave to you by your... Ayn Rand. Yeah. <laughs> you can't throw tokens at somebody and leave your job and have it work out okay for you. 
But you could argue that Paul set him up. Like, if Paul had never come down there, he wouldn't have taken off like that. Come on. He He's provoked take him. He's got, he provoked him? His mere, his mere presence provoked him? This is like, literally, it sounds like you're the Republican pundit on the news, and I'm, I'm the, like, super liberal one. Like, uh, you, Yeah, you are, you are liberal to a fault. Like, and to I, a fault. Yeah, and yeah. I am bristling yeah. heavily. I'm the one that's like, let all the prisoners out immediately from everywhere. Yeah, and I'm like, hey, maybe that guy shouldn't throw tokens at that guy. And you're like, it's fine. So if that makes me a Republican... <laughs> then okay (laughs) i don't think that's what i was saying but fine (laughs) no it's it's interesting you're right i mean we i think we both let's say we both have points even though i don't think you think i do points (laughs) (laughs) so paul convinces jamie to stay because of the guilt trip right and he's hoping he can make it to the circus in time to see Flexo the Fabulous. Just hope we still make it to the circus in time for Flexo the Fabulous. Did you know he can lick his own back? Why can't you just follow football like other guys? Have you ever seen a contortionist? Only in Ocean's Eleven? Oh, you gotta see him live. I, was I don't at the, think that's true. The freak show at Coney Island years ago for Homecoming, yeah. when all the freaks came, you know, the alums. Okay. And uh, there was a contortionist couple, and it was trippy, man. I bet. That's Ooh, crazy. It was great. It was great. You really like the contortionist a yeah. lot. Sideshow at Coney Island, guys. Check it out. <laughs> it's one of the best shows in town. I like that plug. So they decide to uh, to stay. Yes, and to and... do his jobs. So their first customer is a classic sarcastic mean new yorker mm-hmm. played by an actor named michael goldfinger who guess what he was also in what else was he in a little show called brooklyn bridge hey there you go one episode i like that a lot guess what i went what? looking for the clip it's the one episode that's not on youtube oh man there's season one episode four season one episode six no season one episode five why disappointing well, he is the classic, like, angry. It's great. I love I yes. love this. And this is the kind of part that, like, when I was a kid, I wanted to play. Six. 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 That would be uh, six tokens. No. Six whoppers. <laughs> Sir, the last thing the New York City transit system needs is your sarcasm. I can't believe that it takes two morons to do this stupid job. We're apprentices. So they help him out, and then two, like, street kids in leather jackets, classic, jump the turnstile. John, I'm not going to let you call these people kids, too, because they say they're just kids. These people are in their early to mid-30s. No. (laughs) Yes. I think that this is another instance where it was written, it was just like, kids jump the turnstile, and it was supposed to be for, like, either eight-year-olds or maximum 15-year-olds, and they're like, he's just a kid. These people these people have mortgages. Like, Are you serious? <laughs> yes. You I gotta watch it, it on my computer, so I, I, not everything's super clear. They are so old. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I tried, to find their, I tried to find out more about them. I wasn't able to locate it, but I wish that I could. I hope that we're able to do it in post to find out who these actors are and how old they were at the time. I mean, Russ... Good luck. Because <laughs> I think they're just featured background 
Yeah, I, in a they sea are. of background actors because this was like an episode of a subway station. Yeah, they were listed don't in think the credits. Those names are yeah. No, but God bless. Good luck. Go 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 into the world and find their names. <laughs> so then they have another customer, uh, a woman this time, who mm-hmm. needs directions to Hunter's Point and has a southern right. accent, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. This character was played by Elizabeth Normand. Okay, who was Kevin Spacey's secretary on House of Cards? Really? Yeah. Did you work with her at all? No, no. I only I did one scene with Sebastian Arcellus. Okay. No one else was there. Oh no, one other reporter was there, but it was a very very light crew that day. We'll have to feature your scene from House of Cards at some point, unless you absolutely don't want to. No, I don't care. Great. It's not like you're pulling out a, an embarrassing video of me in in middle school playing the funny clown and play clowns. Time to cut to that right now. <laughs> <laughs> but she also passed away at the young age of 61 two years oh, ago gosh. yeah that's terrible i know it was it was very sad and it's also sad because now it means that i feel guilty about talking about how mean her character is oh i mean her character's great yeah she's so sarcastic too yes okay seven uh so seven times 125 that is a you should give you a calculator or something in here. Uh, so dollars. He carried it to is. Uh, would, you, would you rather have a little ten pack? Eight seventy-five. Eight. I give you a twenty. Yes. That means I get eleven twenty-five back. Yes. Yes, you do. And I was getting it. They just they bring in every every type of sarcastic, uh, mean New Yorker. Yep. Everybody's uh, awful. Well, because, you know, actually, my girlfriend has worked in a box office. You've worked in a box office, too, right, Russ? I currently work in a box office. Yeah, so, like, you deal with – it's a very similar thing. You're, like, in a box, you're behind a window, and you have mean New Yorkers coming up every now and then with no patience for anything. That happens very infrequently. Most of the time, most of the time, people are just like, oh, yeah, can I get my tickets? Oh, that's nice. And you say, yeah. Or you say, hang on a second. And they say, no problem. Take your time. Wow. Yeah. What they really do a lot is – I work at the PlayStation Theater in Times Square, which is around the corner from The Lion King. And I've worked at the box office since it opened. And I initially thought, because people would come up to the box office and think that we were The Lion King. And I was just like, yeah, I was just like, oh, well, this is new. This is a new theater. So eventually the word will get out and people will stop thinking that this is The Lion King. Well, John, we are going on... 12 years of the theater and everybody still thinks that it is the Lion King. It is what I say more than anything is Lion King's around the corner. This is not yeah. the Lion King. Lion King's right over there. If only there was a huge marquee with an LED board stretching the entire theater that says PlayStation Theater. It's a little confusing. Everything in Times Square is a big sign that's a building wide with a bunch of lights around it. Look, I guess it must be. It is clearly a little confusing because everybody can't find it. I mean, think of all the people that go to see The Lion King and end up seeing Smash Mouth. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I I have said that one time I very much want to get Lion King hats and Lion King polo shirts and a Lion King poster and wear all of it and put the poster up in the box office. And then when people come and ask for tickets to the Lion King, just go, this is not the Lion King. What's wrong with you? That's very funny. 
It's so, very funny. So yeah, I've hit my breaking point. So this woman needs directions to Hunter's Point, which Jamie's never heard of, which surprised me. Yes. Well, she. Well, you know, there are lots of different places where you know. I I, I can't say that I know all of the stops and all true. of the places. I thought Oyster Park was Oyster Bay was in New Jersey, so who knows? Yeah. And Paul, they don't know. They can't figure it out. Right. And Paul eventually says, I got directions for you. Uh, you know what you do? Hunter's Point. Hunter's Point. You take this train one stop uptown, get off, and you ask the token taker there. So then Jamie finally figures it out. She's looking at the map. She tells her what trains to take. Oh, no, no, no. Wait, wait. Hey, hey, hey. I, th- I think I got it. Uh, take the number two train uptown to Jackson Avenue and then transfer to the six. I could have walked there by now. <laughs> under pressure. You did good, sweetie. I did great. I just sent her to the South Bronx. She'll be dead in two hours. <laughs> great little South Bronx. A lot of a lot of fun little New York jokes. Yes. That's a but, fun bit. About very real issues. Yes. <laughs> so then we do a classic Mad About You. Cut to the next scene, which is mm-hmm. later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now there's a long line of customers waiting to, to buy tokens at the booth. Right. There's a violinist playing fake violin. There's a flautist playing fake flute. Wait, is it that obvious? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I didn't even notice. Yeah, it's it, it's it's obvious in that they are not playing their instruments, and it is obvious in that the sounds of their instruments <laughs> okay. are not real sounds of All their right. instruments. All right, okay, point taken. <laughs> Bludgeoned me over the head with it. Let's see. Oh, so we're sort of like dullying past... Mm-hmm. All, all the people in line and we stop at uh, a couple of japanese businessmen yep who are played by yoshio bay and toshitoda what do we know them from well first i guess not i mean nothing really okay but they're both in a ton of stuff it's okay. just a lot of small roles unfortunately when you look at the biography of an asian american actor that started in the 80s or 90s and even now probably or quite honestly they both had a credit of sushi chef on two different shows uh-huh <laughs> they both also played a chinese person <laughs> on a, oh man on another show <laughs> like hey that's showbiz baby this in is Hollywood. Uh, like this this episode is now depressing me in new ways <laughs> <laughs> uh but this was toshi's first gig which is exciting and they're both hey. very much still in the game cool their imdb is very active yeah, they have this fun um, vaudeville-style conversation in Japanese mm-hmm. with subtitles. Mm-hmm. He goes, well, did you write the dialogue down, too? The only bit of dialogue I wrote down was, chill out, Yoshi, which oh, I thought yeah. was a weird line for <laughs> these Japanese was. businessmen to be using. Well, first he goes, this would never happen on the bullet train. Right. And the other one goes, I'd like to put a bullet through his brain. <laughs> Yikes. And then the, the other one goes, now we'll never make the overture. And he goes, mm-hmm. chill out, Yoshi. They'll wait for us. We own the show. Yeah. That's pretty clever. Yeah. I mean, does it make you feel a little uncomfortable in 2017? Yep. Sure. Is it still funny? Probably. I, yeah. So Funny-ish. Hold, hold those two ideas in your head at the same time. <laughs> People are complicated. Indeed. Then he yells in English. Yes. Come on, man. Get the lead out. Come on, man. Get the lead out. How hard can that job be? Something like that. Uh-huh. The visual gag I love is when he speaks in English, they put subtitles in Japanese. Yes. That's a silly thing. I can kind of read. Can you? Because I went to high school there and I studied Japanese and, as my language. Sure. Did and they, were they accurate? I don't Please think tell me. so. 
Oh, no, John. Oh. Unless I'm writing it incorrectly. Unless I'm reading it, which is, honestly, Russ, very yeah. possible. Yeah. But what I could read was, Nanimo tamo tashitaru, which is, I keep anything, according to Google. <laughs> but I don't know. Oh, yeah. I, oh man. I don't uh, know. It, that's a... That's a bummer. Well, I could, least... I could be wrong. I could be wrong. No, you could be. I, I, I'm going to, you know what? I'd like to sleep at night, so I'd like to say that you're wrong. They didn't have time to, to change the script to refer to the right prop in the episode. You think they had time to get the right, like, Japanese writing for the subtitle? You're right. You're absolutely right. Cut them some slack. This must have been a crazy <laughs> yeah. week at oh, the show. Man. So Jamie addresses the buskers that you called yeah. out earlier, right. and she asked them to play Color My World. Mm-hmm. Do you know that Wait. song? No, I don't. Do you? I do. That's a song by Chicago. Oh. Uh, you'd know it if you heard it, probably. It's I will got play a flute it. In it. As time goes on, I that one. I think that's how it goes. Oh. Yeah, that's how it goes. Well, it's their song, apparently. I played at their wedding. Yeah, it was a big, it's a big sappy love song from back in the day. No kidding. Uh, and a lot of people use it for, for weddings and and uh, and other you know. Oh, it's our dance. It's our song. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, that's their song. That's Sounds their like song. he didn't know that though. No, he's inattentive when it comes to that sort of thing. He's a sitcom husband. <laughs> um, uh, the, so phone the phone rings. rings. Ah, jinx. <laughs> and it's Raul. Raul, we learned who is clearly Howie's boss. Mm-hmm. Tells him there's a 20-minute delay, a track fire. Right. And Paul gets on the PA system and tells everyone there's going to be a delay, there's a track fire, and he lies and says five minutes. Right. And Jamie says, hey, that's dishonest. Mm-hmm. And they start to bicker a little bit, and that goes through the PA. I always make the announcements. That's what you say? Do you know what I mean? No, I really, I really don't. We're married six months, and you're saying that, what, as a rule, I tend to hog the public address system? Anyway, I got a little deal for you. Next time that we're stuck in a token booth and there's an angry mob outside, you'll make the announcements, fair? All right, why don't you say something before they storm the booth? I'm trying. Well, he's like, go ahead and tell them the truth if you want. Yeah. And she does, 20 minutes, and they start to riot outside. Right. Is that, that happens before the argument, right? No, it doesn't. Yeah, well, no, it doesn't. It's, Sorry. So they argue a little bit. That bummed me out because everybody, everybody has argued with everybody in this entire episode. The one thing that we've got is that Paul and Jamie are together on this thing. They're a unit. And then they start sniping at each other. And I'm just like, come on, guys. Yeah, they are very snipey in this episode. Oh. Actually, you're right. Everyone's at odds with everyone else This most of this episode. The, the, everybody who shows up. You know, you get Mark and Fran and that kid who's mad at everybody. Yeah. Uh, you, then they go and Steve Buscemi's mad at them. Then all of the customers are mad at them. Then they get mad at each Everybody's just mad the yeah. whole time. It's relentless. You're right. Also, what's interesting to me, and I love this, my, my moral after this moment of this episode, the little takeaway to me was, you know what? Sometimes lying and dodging a situation is better than confrontation and honesty. Which is why she should have gotten the tokens. Yes. If she gets the tokens, none of this happens. But that's obviously a, a, a jaded, cynical theme, which I, I think is funny. It's like a classic New Yorker theme. It's like, yes. you know what? Don't get involved. Don't get involved. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Could that guy on the subway be dead? Sure. <laughs> 
You want to slow the train down, ruin everyone's day? You know <laughs> someone what? Someone else deal with it. That's also a pretty good tagline for our show. Mad about mad about you. Could that guy on the subway be dead? Sure. <laughs> uh, so we go. Uh, we do the thing again. <laughs> Where we go to commercial. We come back. It's later in the subway booth. Mm-hmm. And now a different kind of customer emerges. A, a, a yes. sweet touristy couple. She's holding a Met, uh, Met bag. A big mm-hmm. shopping bag from the Mets store. And uh, he's got a big, not the Mets store. <laughs> Metropolitan oh, Museum of Art store. Less of a woohoo. And he is, he has a huge camera around his neck. And this guy's name is Stephen Porter. And they didn't credit his wife because she doesn't speak, I guess. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't find anything on her. But he, interestingly, has had a lot of small roles for the last several decades, including. I feel in- like. Yeah, yeah, I feel like I've he seen him familiar. a lot. Yeah. Yeah. He's been in a lot of Clint Eastwood movies and Christopher okay. Guest movies, but not a Mighty Wind. Christopher Guest movies, that's got to be it. Yeah. Yeah. He was in Best in Show. He was in Mascots. I'm sure he was in others. Cool. Yeah. Fun little character um, actor. So he asks Pardon me. We've never been to New York City before. Uh, may we please have directions to the Statue of Liberty? Take the number one train straight to hell. We see the make. This episode is the making of a New York monster. Yes, that's that is true. Which is very that satisfying. Is, I like that a lot. That's like, that, that was. Yeah. It shows the world why New Yorkers are angry sometimes. Because that you see all true. the crap yeah. they have to deal with. Yeah, I like that. You're chipping away at this episode, making me enjoy it a little bit more. That finally. makes me happy. So Howie shows up with a brown bag of booze. Oh, I hate this part. No, <laughs> now I'm just being. I mean, well, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. And Paul is pissed. Yes. Because they've, because Howie's still got a bad attitude. And he's like, why, why are you even here? Like, I didn't ask you to cover for me. Mm-hmm. And Paul's like, are you kidding me? So now they really get into it. Yes. Which is good. Yeah. Paul has a conversation to... that he should have had. Yes. All these years ago. Yeah, and... probably like when, you know, like a week after they, the Moviola thing happened. Yes. When one of them got the better moviola, and one of them uh, got the worst moviola. You stop it right now. <laughs> you th- you think I don't know what you're doing? Hey, everyone. Tweet at oh. Russ audio clips of you saying moviola. <laughs> oh, couldn't you just tell me that you can't believe I didn't see The Wire? Jesus. <laughs> so Paul, like, really throws down and is like, You know, Howie, I have been worried about you for 15 years, but that's over. And if your life is miserable, it's your own fault. You tell him. I'm not going to feel guilty about it anymore. I've worked really hard to get where I am. And if you had woken up six minutes earlier, just six minutes, then you could have had the good movie, Ola. You could have had the great career. You could have had the gorgeous wife. All of it. But no, face it, Howie, you overslept. Yeah, wake up, Howie. <laughs> I love that they're just like, that The that they're talking about, you should have gotten up early, whereas... It's not like you should have gotten up three hours earlier because I got there three hours before you did. It's just like, no, I got there five minutes before you did. Yeah, it's not the waking up. Right. Yeah. It's like he just shouldn't have like. You just you just got there a little bit late. Yeah. He should have like even... had one less sip of water when he left the house or something. Yeah. You, this is the sort of thing you just shrug and go, ah. <laughs> <laughs> also, if the movieolas, I mean, it sounds like one moviola was a beautiful, pristine piece of machinery. Yeah. And the other yeah. one was like some hand crank piece of crap that you have to like yeah. shine a flashlight through to see the stills. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's like, other wouldn't you wake up at the crack of dawn if there was that much of a disparity between the two moviolas? 
the other moviola is just that like that cylinder of the horse running that <laughs> you see, like, yeah you have to cut out each frame put it yeah. in like a big circle yeah and then spin it this is this is my movie this is my final <laughs> it's called horse running <laughs> <laughs> which was later adapted into seabiscuit <laughs> so howie is taken aback it's that moment that we've seen a lot in a lot of things where he's just like wow no one's ever talked to me that way right I know what I need to do. Mm-hmm. And if we think for a second, oh, good, he's going to turn his life around right now. But obviously we don't because it's 2017 we and we've don't. seen this. Oh, so he hops <laughs> the turnstiles. Paul and Jamie go after him. Yep. And Paul stops and asks for a token. Howie! Howie! Look at me talking. Jump over the thing! Howie! And then Steve Buscemi jumps onto the train tracks mm-hmm. to kill himself this is presumably a, this, is, this is a comedy show it's a larry charles style comedy show oh <sighs> and paul is yelling as the light from the train and the wind from the train hit he's just yelling howie into the abyss and we yeah. totally think that he's about to watch his friend get hit by a train yeah his friend being a loose term sure it's they do a real good job of the train station though yeah, that's true. I would have loved to have seen more of it. I love old fake sitcom subway scenes. Yeah. Because they look pretty good. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Have I told you about um, watching an old video of uh, a subway train from the 80s? Uh, no. Okay. We spoke about the Mets. I downloaded the <laughs> final game of the World Series from 1986. Oh. So I could watch game it. Game six? Yeah, game six right? and game. Well, game six was oh, the big game one. Game seven, I mean, game seven. It went to seven. Game six was huge. Game six yes. is the weird comeback that everybody sure. knows about against the Red Sox. And so I'm watching it, and before the game, they have a little mini like, "Here we're at Shea Stadium, and here's what's happening outside." And they show the subway, and it is just crazy. It is covered. Oh, in graffiti, top to bottom in graffiti. Absolutely. The only time you're able to tell that it is like a train car is when doors open yes the rest of it is just like oh here's a, a moving just paint store yeah it's no the insane. subway from that era looks terrible it looks like a haunted house every car yeah. Cra- it's or like crazy. a squatters it looks like a squatters like abandoned yes. tenement building or something <laughs> no re- it really does i yeah. can't imagine what it was like so yeah I, i'm not sure how it would it probably would have been similar to that in 92 which is maybe why we didn't see it, because they didn't want to have to dirty yeah, up I mean, a subway car. The subway on Seinfeld is pretty dirty. Yeah. And they yeah, probably yeah. actually... Oh, no, because that was shot at CBS, and this was shot at uh, Sony, I think. Okay. They might have shared... Well, that doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. The inside of subways I might have shared. That's true. When I was doing... I had one line on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, mm-hmm. where I played a grumpy subway guy. Great. And it turned out the subway car was the same subway car that they used years ago on Seinfeld. That must have felt really cool, and I think that that is really cool. Isn't that fun? Yeah. Yeah, everyone was pretty excited. That's great. Yeah, it's like the little ghosts of that episode were milling about. Yeah, for sure. I love that. Yeah. So they got these subway parts flying around Hollywood all the time. (laughs) Do you remember your line from Brooklyn Nine-Nine? It's, I don't know, something like, it stinks. It really stinks. Something like that. <laughs> something like that. We mind. 
We really, really might. Just throw it out. I will not throw it out. You were Jay Sherman from The Critic. Yeah. <laughs> I have been told that I also remind people of John Lovitz a little yep, with my I'll voice. Yeah, I'll take that. I'll yeah. take that. So, yeah, so we think uh, his friend got ran over by a train and ruined a train conductor's life as well by having to witness this. Right. This is a real problem in New York. Mm-hmm. So later, we go to commercial, we come back, scene seven, we're in their apartment. It's later that day, presumably, and Paul's on the phone with Raul. Yes. Sort of trying to help lead this effort to find Howie. Trying to find Howie. Yeah. And Jamie comes in with the paper, which she's always reading. Right. (laughs) She's a paper maven. She is a paper maven. Oh, what a great, like, aim handle. (laughs) Paper maven? Paper maven, 92. That is a very good one. Uh, so Paul regrets, he shares that he regrets not, not going down there and following him, which I can imagine I would feel the same way probably. Yes, there's a bit of survivor's guilt. Yeah, totally. Uh, and he makes the joke he was afraid of running into the Beauty and the Beast guy. Yeah, you know how your survivor's guilt is always cut by making a joke about running into the Beauty and the Beast guy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah. Well, you remember that show? I remember that it existed. I remember it had Linda Hamilton. Yeah. I forget that it exists sometimes, and then I remember, and I think, that is insane. Yeah, it was a weird one. For those who don't know, there was a show called Beauty and the Beast that was like a soap opera mm-hmm. with a man playing a beast who lived in the subway. Yeah. And <laughs> and the woman was Linda Hamilton from Terminator. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Pretty crazy. Well, it turns out Jamie, in the paper, finds a story about Howie. Four days ago, he was just a token clerk. But now, film school dropout Howard Ballinger has turned his near tragedy to triumph. (laughs) After a frenzied Hollywood bidding war, Ballinger has sold the rights of his underground odyssey. I do not believe this. Gets better. Which he will develop into a major motion picture tunnel of hate. (laughs) When Howie wakes up, he really wakes up. Hey, John. What in the world could this movie possibly be? What's the plot of this movie? Right, because it seems like the inciting incident is a lecture from an old enemy causes yep. me to jump into the subway tunnel mm-hmm. for and an then hour I and then I or so yeah. and then I turn it into a treatment very quickly. <laughs> I send it to nobody I know because I don't have any contacts because I'm a loser, and then somehow it makes the Hollywood gets optioned all within the span of its like this can't be the same day, right? It can't be the same day. But it the timeline the makes s- no sense at all. The timeline makes no sense. The story makes no sense. I mean, what is he talking to Raul a month later? Unless his thing is like, oh yeah, Paul, you ruined my life. Because you got this, and now I'm here. And oh, the crazy stories I could tell you about life down in this tunnel. Yes. But right now, there's no story. It's just, yeah, I worked in a booth, and then I jumped into a tunnel and avoided a train, and now that's going to be 90 minutes. Now, here's a theory that doesn't check out. It could be that Tunnel of Hate is about Howie's descent into working in a token booth. And... He had already been working on this treatment for years. <laughs> I'll give it to you. Fine. But it doesn't check out because Paul claims that he is the reason that this story exists, which I know is a joke in the show, but also like, you know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. So it's just, you know, but I don't know. 
I don't care about logistics normally, but I, I don't know. I care mostly about logistics. Oh, that's very so fun. This, that's a very fun attitude for a comedy show. So this bothers <laughs> both of us. Oh, and look, I don't want to hear you don't care about logistics. Let's talk about where. Tell me again where this apartment is actually located. Twelfth and fifth. <laughs> How many, weeks, how many weeks did it take you to determine that? Eight? I don't know. <laughs> I'm also going to post... We have to post this. Last week, last week's episode, um, I woke up and I was expecting... I was like, okay, this will be on, on the internet. This will be available on iTunes. And I went to find it and it wasn't there yet. And so I just checked in with John. John, who does a great job editing our stuff. Thank him. Thank you, John, for doing that. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, I look and it's not there. So I check in with John. Hey, where is this? And, uh, he's like, it's not ready yet. It's coming though. I'm trying to find that Jackie Mason joke that I reference. I've been looking for two hours. Yeah. A little. Yeah. And I think I was wrong. I think it was a little more than that. <laughs> And you also bought some stuff. You bought a Jackie Mason CD or or Oh, did or I audio? share that with you? I think you said that you bought audio and you couldn't find it in that audio. Oh, yes, I did. I, I paid for a subscription to a website that I'd never heard of called yeah. Concerts.com or something, mm-hmm. which is a cool website that I think you dig especially. It sounds has, like, great. weird concerts that I don't think you can get anywhere. I found exactly the concert that he did this joke at. And it had the first 50 minutes, and he does it at the end of the concert, which would be around like hour, one hour 20. Holy moly. Do you know how frustrating that was? <laughs> I can only imagine. At, especially at two, two or three. This, I was supposed to be done with this thing by like 1130 at night. And I stayed up to like 3 a.m. listening to every single Jackie Mason bit that's available online. Plus, I have a record. I have a record of Jackie Mason, <laughs> a vinyl. And I put it on my record player just to make sure it wasn't on that. <laughs> But the CD arrived yesterday, and I play for you now the joke you've all been waiting for. Gentiles think of their house as a factory. I don't care what they do for a living. As soon as they go home, they're busy with screwdrivers and Bahamas McClough. They're busy. They love screwdrivers. There's 300 versions of a screwdriver in every Gentile house. They have a screwdriver that turns, that twirls, that flies, that goes through buildings, to walls, to countries. That's all you hear, humming and buzzing and clapping. You never hear a word in a Gentile house. All you hear is... Somehow they love screwdrivers. <laughs> you ever see a screwdriver in a Jewish house? There's no such thing. Even if they have one, they can't find it. They don't know where they left it. They don't know who had it. <laughs> so you say, where's the screwdriver? I had the screwdriver. <laughs> I thought you had the screwdriver. But I put it down, but you picked it up. But I gave it to her, but she gave it to you. They'll kill each other over a screwdriver. You know, anti-Semitism is nothing compared to two Jews looking for a screwdriver. Jews don't need a screwdriver. We have something that's better than a screwdriver that works perfectly, and the Gentiles don't even know about it. It's called a butter knife. <laughs> In every Jewish house, there's one knife where the edge is to cruffle like that. That's why you can't find a hammer in a Jewish house. They don't need a hammer. They turn over the butter knife and they cruffle. Oh, gosh. You know what, John? I was going to say, I was going to bust your butt for uh, calling me out for minutia, but the fact that you got it and that you found the clip 
and that we're putting it in right now means that you win and it's a big triumph. So <laughs> forget everything. I guess you're right. I mean, this CD meant a lot to me when I was a kid. We will probably have bits from the CD for the rest of this, like the next several episodes, because it's all 90s New York jokes about like Beautiful. politics. And I think you might do a Donaldson impression on that. Oh, my thing. God. Well, yeah, I we'll love see. it. Well, anyway. oh, my goodness. Folks, uh, that is it for us this week on Mad yeah. About Mad About You. Do we need to finish? Basically, Paul's mad he didn't get a, a credit in the article. Oh. And Raul, the button is Raul gets a producer credit over my dead body. But anyway, it doesn't matter. That's all. That was the ha, end. Ha, ha. There we go. Okay. Well, so, yes. Yeah, so thank you, everybody. That, uh, thank you, everybody. Thank you, John, for seamlessly uh, assisting in that <laughs> in that <laughs> that denouement. but yeah please do rate and review us on itunes we've been hearing from you guys it's so Uh, great it's so nice to see thank you it makes us very happy and all the tweets and the likes it's fun it's really fun you guys are you guys are great we're very very lucky and um happy and fortunate to have you folks as listeners so sincerely do thank you very much i have the commotion still my musical improv team we perform on Tuesday nights at the Magnet Theater on 29th and 8th. I'm also in a show called The Sequel. Uh, we do sequels to already existing Broadway musicals. We improvise sequels at the audience's request. And it's that the first. Sounds great. It's really fun. It's the yeah. first Friday, the first Friday of the month. So we've got one. Uh, well, we just had one not too long ago. So the first Friday of the month. Come on out and check it out. John. Anything doing? Anything fun? I finally have something to plug. I thought you did. Please do. Everyone, tune in. I'm pretty sure this is the right date. <laughs> March 26th, Sunday night. I have a small bit on uh, NCIS Los Angeles where I'm playing hey. Big Ron, the fried chicken eating giant. So that'll be fun. <laughs> that sounds great. I help, I I help catch wait. the bad guy. So. You you help catch the bag. This I is help a key catch role. the bad guy. I'm in a little. I got a little action. Little All action. right. Very love little. it. Love it. Love it. This is great. Yeah, that's it though. Otherwise, I got nothing going on. Fabulous. Nothing to plug. <laughs> well, everybody, thanks again for listening. Our theme music is by John D. Ivy. Mm-hmm. Our logo is by Mr. Nathan Diffie. They are great. Mm-hmm. Thanks to them. Yeah, follow us at Mad About You Pod. Facebook us. If you're new listeners, do all the, you know, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter at Mad About You Pod. We're on Stitcher now. Check us out on Stitcher. Yep. I don't even know how to do that, but I know some of you do and we're there. That's it, right? Anything else? I think that's it. That's it. Hey, everybody, my name is Russ Vader. And my name is John Marbley. And, and this, this is, is what, what we're, we're saying. saying.